Hey, Sarah. Yes. Did you know the original cast has a live show? Yeah, tell me up? about this. I saw yes. this on Twitter today. Yes, yeah, so what we does have that a live mean? show. What does it mean? It means we have a live show. We have a live show. Uh, we'll be part of the Flying V Awesomeathon, which is on December 10th at the Bethesda Chevy Chase building, 4805 Edgemore Lane. Tickets are pay what you can, which is the good news. The bad news is there are no advanced sales, so it's first come, first served. I've started a Facebook event so we can get a sense of how many people are coming and where you can find uh, more information about the show. And you can find that either through our Facebook page or through a special URL I've set up for all of my parts of the Awesomeathon. I've actually got a couple things going on, and you can find out all about them at unknownpenguin.com slash live. And it's be a slightly different format. We're going to have, everyone's going to come out, have a lot of guests, the cast of the Flying V musical, You or Whatever I Can Get, and everyone's going to sing, including me. So you've <laughs> got to come out and see us all sing and talk about, uh, the theme is going to be uh, Broadway love songs, and that's what we're going to be doing. Awesome. Are Probably Carousel coming? will come up. It may. I don't know what, I know what I'm singing. I don't know what anybody else is doing yet. We haven't had our, we have to have a rehearsal, obviously. <laughs> so that's December 10th at 4.30. Are you going to come? I'm going to mark my calendar. Fantastic. <laughs> Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn, playwright, filmmaker, and professor of communications at American University. And each week we invite somebody who you'd see in the theater, either on stage, backstage, or in the house, to discuss an original cast album they love. And today we are joined by, I forgot it, marketing... <laughs> marketing manager. Marketing manager for Ford's <laughs> Theater. We'll leave it in. It's real. It's Sarah E. Cohen, everybody. Hi. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. Good, of course. Thanks for coming out. And you chose... I chose Pippin. You chose Pippin. Here's my, here's my first surprise. There is the... Is this your personal, this my personal copy, copy of the original cast album? It's the literally a record here. Album. It is a record. <laughs> I'm going to take a picture of you holding the record. This is our, this is our mini tradition. Here we go. All right, that's good for social media. Perfect. And uh, so you are, you can hold on to that if you want to or, or put, it put it down. <laughs> it's not a lot to look at, I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing much to it. Um, but so you are you're the marketing manager or a marketing manager at Ford's, but you also are a historian, theatrical historian, and you have a web series. Yeah. Which I think is how I, I found you or you found me on social media. I think that yeah, was that the connection. Yeah, that sounds right. What's the name of your show? Sure. It's called The Musical Show, all mashed up into one word. Um, and the idea is trying to take musical theater history, which I'm super passionate about, and make it just accessible. Um, so we have five episodes up right now, and we're doing a little break while I prep the next five. Um, and so far, we've got stuff like what are the, um, the four most important songs in a show, and how do they contribute to show structure? We have stuff like Oklahoma and just the creation of um, concept musicals versus integrated musicals mm -hmm. and sort of different pieces. So the idea is that you could be a total novice to musical theater, um, you know, ideally like an enthusiastic fan, but right. really you can know nothing and come in and sort of get these tools that make you feel like you have an understanding of the genre. Yeah, <laughs> I love theater history, as anyone who's listened to this show will know. And you chose a show that has a tremendous history. Um, 
but we're going to get to that in a second. <laughs> um, so how did you, how did Pippin come into your, your life? Okay, so I was doing a lot of deep thinking about this, and the, like, the obvious um, iconic moment for me was my graduation from elementary school. Okay. We were given the choice of singing one of two songs at our, uh, at our graduation ceremony, and I don't remember one of the songs, but we sat there and we listened to Corner of the Sky, and we said, that's the one we want. Everything has its season, everything has its time. Show me a reason, and I'll soon show you a rhyme. Cats fit on the windowsill, children fit in the snow. Why do I feel I don't fit in anywhere I go? Rivers belong where they can ramble. Eagles belong where they can fly. I've got to be where my spirit can run free. Gotta find my like a sense of agency and ownership from that early age. And then around high school, I'm a baby, so by the time I was in high school, Wicked was out at okay. some point during high school. And I went looking for Schwartz's back catalog um, and found Pippin and, yeah. and was very confused but very delighted. And I think a lot of the songs speak to sort of a very, I mean, there's a reason why it's such a popular high school production. Mm-hmm. My school never did it, but I know it's like, that's part of why it's still famous and known today. Absolutely. Um, that's part of, I think, why... I have a lot of feelings about its like sort of reputation over time, and I think it really softened in part um, because of the tradition of doing high school productions of it. But I think it has a lot of songs that speak to sort of high school emotions, you know? Well, it's um, about coming of age. I mean, it is yeah. literally a, a show about discovery, so that's perfect for and young. You know, the, all the characters are kind of amorphous in age, except yeah. for Pippin. He's just a young, and he's just a young man, so he can be, yeah, so you can do any age can, can sort yeah, of do so that's this sort thing. of my introduction to Pippin. Okay, have you seen it? So I saw it at the Many A Chocolate Factory, I believe in 2011, um, and it was a new take on the show, and it was really interesting watching. Um, there is a recording uh, that we watched on YouTube in order to prep for this yes, episode. Yes, we did. Um, but I'm sure, certainly you can get it on DVD, uh, filmed in the 80s, but it's right. primarily of the, 70 produ- yeah. the 70s production. Um so it's very interesting to compare and contrast those two. Yes. And sort of with that in mind, to go back and look at some of the reviews of the 2011 production, um, or the 2010 era, we'll say, um, just because the reviewers said it was, you know, uh, some of the reviewers said it was too segmented, which mm. makes sense in the sense that they went really, they went really hard on the um, these are phases of Pippin's life angle, but the original production is pretty pretty yeah. broken up as well. It's yes, it's very scene song scene song scene song. The through line is very very loose in, yeah. in, in this production certainly. Yeah, the 81 video with Ben Vereen and William Cat and Cheetah Rivera um, and Benjamin Rayson and Leslie Dennison, which is pretty much based on the 72 Fosse production. It was um can you hand me that LP yeah, for sure. a second? It was Directed and choreographed by oh. oh she's not on the thing. It's directed and choreographed by Fosse. Oh, Catherine Doby. Well, oh. Catherine did the video one. Gotcha, Sorry, gotcha, Catherine gotcha. Doby, who was Fosse's dance captain. That makes um, sense. I was like, obviously, did, yeah, it's yeah, a Fosse show, right? <laughs> but she did it, so she recreated the Fosse production. Gotcha. Um, and so that is pretty much exactly the Fosse edition. Um, you can see the whole thing on YouTube, and you can also see. Did you watch the uncut? Version. No, no, what's the difference? Okay, so a lot, actually. Oh, um, my God. I'm going to go home and watch the uncut version. The, well, it's really hard to watch because okay. it's a bootleg of a test video cassette 
that has been watched I don't know how many times. So it's not great. So if you okay. know the show and you know the video, it's interesting. Yeah. It's got, well, it's got, so, I mean, it's got I Guess I'll Miss the Man, which is not in the yeah, one video. Yeah, I was disappointed about that. Yeah, I know. And <laughs> it's it's got a lot of cut moments. Like it has the um, the uh, the head after the battle when Pippin talks to the, yeah. the severed head. That's not in the video. That's in this in this extended cut. Yeah. Um, is it's, the duck song in there? Like the lament for... Uh... Oh yeah, and the prayer and things for yeah. yes for the duck yes that's in there yeah all the, it's the whole show basically it's okay. about half an hour maybe less than half an hour longer and it's the whole gotcha. it's the whole show yeah so I actually have a whole episode coming out when we do the next five episode release that's about uh, uh, Ethan Morden calls them super directors which I sort of okay. turned into a verb which I don't think he would approve of uh, and said super directed but it's uh, this idea that um, director choreographers came together and. They took on both roles and they sort of made the show their own. It's sort of mm-hmm. people like um, Jerome Robbins, um, people, Michael Bennett, yeah, exactly, Susan Stroman in the Perfect. modern era, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the hallmarks of their pieces is that they they lean heavily on the gimmicks. They sort of take a show, run it over, rewrite the book, which certainly happened with Pippin. There are rumors oh, just of a like tiny bit, yes. <laughs> Fosse locking the book writer and lyricist and composer out of rehearsal. Yeah, I don't. I think they're probably true. All right, so. <laughs> There's just so many ways to go. So this is what we're going to do. There, yeah. There's a lot of things to, to, to dive into here with this show and with this recording. Mm-hmm. But let's back up and kind of get big picture for a second. And if you could give me a synopsis as long as you feel necessary okay. of Pippin. Oh, my God. Okay. So I was thinking about this. This is a very musical. I'm going to give you a musical theater synopsis and then a real one that'll be helpful. If that's okay, or should I? Oh, sh- well, yeah. A musical do theater it? fan synopsis is this is Candide. If at the end of Candide he was like, "No, farming's no good for me, and I'll try something else." Like it's okay. literally Candide with privilege. Sure. Can- I like that. Oh, I like that a lot. Right? It's Candide with privilege. Like it's just like. A I privileged like version of Candide because Candide has like coming from you know a much less advantaged situation. Right. Pippin can just like because he's the king's son, he can just do whatever he wants and move on. <gasps> the real synopsis is that Pippin is a story loosely like very oh, loosely unbelievably based around lo- a historical so, revolution. So loosely as to not actually be important. <laughs> I mean, literally, they misspelled. They changed the character's name because they thought the spelling was cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, which says a lot about the priorities of Pippin the musical. I Absolutely. Think. Yeah. Um, but it's a story of a young man who has graduated from school and is looking for his purpose in life and he tries a number of different things um the main like big picture ones are he tries going to war and then he finds out that war is depressing and horrible um he tries what does he he tries sex basically um and lots of orgies. Sex and drugs. Love. I mean, he tries. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he tries sex, sex and drugs. drugs. Uh, Does some he... lotus eater stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah should, I should also. We should back up a second mm-hmm. and just say the Pippin, the historical thing, and it is. It is. We shouldn't jump all over it. Is that Pippin is the firstborn son of Charlemagne, and that yes. is when it is set. It is set during the reign of Charlemagne. He is a historical figure. But that's kind of where it ends. It, and then I'm we just giggling here at this historical yeah. figure thing because it's so loosely it's, used. But Charlemagne is a real person, so we shouldn't yes, say it is Charlemagne. Yeah, that's true. Pip, he did have a son. The son's name was Pippin. It was spelled differently. And we're moving on. <laughs> and, you know, and the aesthetic of the original Broadway production does play off the idea of an anachronistic 70s era somehow uh, medieval time. You know, it's that mix of... That right. When you say books. he goes to war and stuff, for example, like that is something that occurred back then, like, like right. now, where right. it would that's be a true. huge social, like it'd be, it'd be Vietnam or something, be a huge social upheaval. They just had war. You know, he just went to war. Right. He went that's to a true. battle. That's yeah. true. He went to war. Although it was very much a commentary on Vietnam when they It certainly the was show, when they originally so. did it, yes. Uh, but it is just something that. 
that okay. people did. So he goes to war. <laughs> he he leaves war and goes into sex. You're right. right. Okay. And then and then he goes into revolution. Right. Uh, tries to he does in fact he does. Uh, kill his father. He assassinates and then his father. He changes his mind because thank you privilege. Well, he assassinates his father. He becomes king. <laughs> Decides he doesn't want to be king. Right. Leading player brings his father back to life, which oh is God. one of my favorite scenes. He runs away and ends up at a farm, falls in love, uh, decides that that's no good either. Right. Uh, and then the leading player, who this whole time has sort of introduced Pippin uh, to the to the audience, uh, he and his cast of uh, other players, players who have also mm-hmm. become the become the various characters in the show. Um, the leading player comes out and tries to convince Pippin that he should set himself on fire as the ultimate. Uh, way to fulfill his potential. Right. Uh, in a very theatrical. Right. Thing. They exactly. have a booth that he's supposed to get show. into to emulate him to emulate himself and to, yeah. And it, then, it's their finale, as they call it. Shockingly, um, unlike every other moment in the show, Pippin says, "Nope, not for me." Right. And uh, in the original Broadway production, I cannot believe they ended at a Broadway. Well, show so he he decides not to get way. in in the, the thing. Yeah. Catherine comes back on stage with right. the woman he's fallen in love with with her son. Right. And he decides to stay with them. The players revolt against him and then leave them on the stage alone. And now we get to this moment. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, they leave them on the stage alone. They strip most of their costumes away and right. turn off all like the all lights. Like all the makeup, all the sets, all the lights. Right. They get You're rid of the orchestra. the bear theater of right. just two humans. And the ghost and a- light, yeah. Cute kid, right. depending on what you think of as a cute kid in theater. Um, and then, uh, and then, do you know the final lines? I do. Do you That's, have them memorized? Would you like I to say have, them? Yeah, sure. We can do it. <laughs> Pippin, do you feel... That you've compromised? No. Do you feel like a coward? No. Well then, how do you feel? Trapped. (laughs) Which isn't too bad for the end of a musical comedy. Ta-da! Controversy comes because... Well, so I don't know if this is this is what you're talking about in terms of um, the two different... The idea of the different mm-hmm. scripts. Yeah. But according to Stephen Schwartz in an interview for MTI Theater International, who has the current script today, right. he claims that he saw a production, some random production that changed the ending, thought that was much better, and just made MTI oh, change the ending. Okay, well, there's three endings then. Okay. You're, you're technically correct. So the, the original ending up until the final preview mm-hmm. was the Pippin says, trapped but happy. Which ah, is not a bad yes, way to okay. end a musical comedy, ta-da. And on the very le- moments before opening, mm-hmm. in a subversive way, Fosse told John Rubenstein, who's playing Pippin, to cut but happy, which was a huge... Everybody objected. Fosse had final yes. say. They cut... The, so that's why it's trapped. Mm. The Swartz ending is trapped but happy. And the current ending, which is what you're referring to, yes. is that... Catherine and Pippin then leave the stage, leaving Theo, Catherine's son, on the stage, who sings a small reprise of Corner of the Sky, which mm-hmm. is Pippin's I Want song. And the players all come back on and sort of take him to sort of show that this struggle will continue, that the players will then have another chance to try to get someone to set on fire in the future, which is the current ending and is a fantastic ending. Yeah, it's I think a, that's much a much, stronger much, much ending. stronger ending. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate how weak the original ending is. And can we just take two seconds to appreciate the success of Pippin with that ending? Because it's mind-boggling, frankly. Well, I think it, it, <laughs> it fits to... All right, let's talk about the ending. It fits with Fosse's vision yes. of it being so bleak, the commitment to the bleakness. I think, if he, I think Fosse was actually right. If you ended on Trapped But Happy... It's kind of, I, but if you end it on yes. trapped, it's at least like 
okay, it's it, it follows everything we've just seen. It has this commitment to yes. the idea. I will completely agree with that. Yeah. I don't think saying trap but happy would solve it. I also yeah, exactly don't think right. just saying trap no, necessarily like it it yeah. works either. Um, and, and for the record, Pippin is... A, Probably, according to Wikipedia anyway, the 33rd longest running show in Broadway history. Yeah, it ran for almost 2,000 performances. Um, yeah, and it's Back the when that fourth, was something. <laughs> the fourth or fifth, depending on how you count, most popular show, of, or longest running show of the set, of the whole era of the, of the 70s. 70s. Yeah. yeah. Depending if you cut that revival of Calcutta or not, that makes it number five. No, let's not count that. Okay, then it's the fourth. I don't like, like Calcutta. <laughs> We're going to cut it. Um, it ran Beautiful. longer off Broadway. So Pippin is an incredibly long running show, which is... Mm-hmm. I think incredible and really speaks to the time period because it's a strange, an objectively strange show. It is. And you think about something like concept musicals of the time did not run, except for A Chorus Line, which granted ran longer. Which was later. I mean, yeah. A Chorus Line didn't open until 76. Exactly. So it's still four years ahead of Chorus Line. Um, yeah, if you think about concept musicals of the time period, they weren't running like Pippin was running. No, not um, at all. And there was sort of a, as I understood it, up, there was sort of a, um, you know, a lot of critics were very... Um, I don't want to say critical because that sounds silly, but, you know, they were very hesitant to praise Pippin, even though people liked it. It's a very likable show, but I think there was some sort of uh, critical dichotomy between whether or not you could say Pippin was a great show. Um, but I think that our attitude towards it has changed over time. Well, it's it's evolved. The show has continued That's to sort of continue to evolve and move around. It did not win, for example, Best Musical no. at the Tonys. It won... Fosse won awards for his direction and choreography, and um, Ben Vereen won for best actor. But Night Music, Little Night Music, Sondheim's musical, won best musical and best score. And, you know, that was the sort of powerhouse critical darling of the year. It did yeah. not run half as long as Pippin did. No. <laughs> it is also, though, I mean, astonishingly good musical. So that's not, <laughs> you take what you, you take the good, you take the bad. So that's a whole other, that's a whole other conversation. But... It is a show, I think, that was very widely praised for its direction and its performance and not for its book and score, which brings us nicely into this <laughs> recording. So this is the, the – do you heard the song Corner of the Sky first mm-hmm. as a kid from this recording? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you heard the recording itself after you got into Wicked. So what did you think of the show after you heard the recording? I mean, I fell in love with a lot of the music. It, I, In listening to it again, it contains both my, like, probably my most favorite and least favorite rhymes in, I don't oh, want to say okay. all musical theater, but some yeah. of them. Take a, take a um, leap. Say all musical theater. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, that's like, <laughs> Hamilton came Ignore out, Ignore the mics. We're on, just talk about all, all musical theater. <laughs> I can't, I can't. Right. It's just us here. It's just you and me talking. Oh. They're best ever. Anyway, but out yeah. of Pippin, I will say. So what say, are they? Um, so I think, the well, single-handedly, the least favorite song in terms of just songwriting is Morning Glow. It drives me up a wall. That There's like that awful <laughs> you're dying right now. It's true though. Like that line where they're like Oh morning glow I'd like to help you grow We should have started long ago That's awful. That's objectively yeah. bad. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it's not redeemed by its use in the show either, I don't think. No, I don't think, um, yeah. Which okay. is a real bummer. I was watching it in the original production. I was like, maybe I'll fall in love with it. Sometimes it happens where a song works in context, but not so much in the recording. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rhyming, some of the rhyming is really superb in uh, No Time At All. Yes. Yeah, there's the rhyme. You could squander away or sequester a drop of a precious year. For when your best days are yester, 
The raster twice as dear. Dear, that's incredible. That's a really good line. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. best it's, and worst um, of the rhymes, frankly, from the score. Yeah. But okay. the music is charming. But so you really liked the recording. So yeah, that was I your really first, liked you really the liked recording. the recording and then you saw the show in the in the 2010s. And you know, yeah. the original review praised the score of sort of being unremarkable, unmemorable, I think, but it, from a like a later historical perspective, looking at it now, it seems mm-hmm. very very early 70s to me. Like it fits mm-hmm. very much in the time it came. So it's interesting that during the time they were like, oh, this music doesn't sound like anything. Cuz now it's like, oh no, it, it, sounds, it like sounds like the like 70s. It sounds like 1972. <laughs> well, it sounds a lot like a more orchestrated version of Godspell to yeah. me. It, it, you could play this and Godspell back to back, and you wouldn't you wouldn't miss a beat. It it, it really feel and they were written very close together. They're I mean, both it, during his college years, right? So it's not it's not unusual that the score would be like that. So that's how you first, and then you only watched the eighty one recording in preparation for this. Yeah. Okay. So I came to this show through the eighty one video. Mm-hmm. I worked uh, when I went to Catholic University. I worked in the music library. And we had the laser disc of this. Mm-hmm. This is this is way back. And when I worked a night shift, you could just sort of sit and put on a movie while you were working. And I watched this because I'd never seen it, and I was I love Ben Vereen. Ben Vereen oh my God. is an actor who I could watch and a performer I could watch do literally anything. There are two He's performers incredible. I've said before who I could watch do anything. It's Ben Vereen and Judd Hirsch. Mm. Wonderfully, and this connects to you a little bit. I saw them both in a production of I'm Not Rappaport at. Ford's Theater in, I think, 2002 on its pre-Broadway tour, I believe. Um, That's a diversion. So I could watch Ben Vereen do anything. I I was fascinated by the show. I didn't know it at all. I watched the video and I absolutely was entranced by it. And it became the the bit I will show you also now here on my phone (laughs) just so you can verify because I can say it out loud, but it's entirely, it doesn't make any difference. Show tell the folks at home what the background on my cell phone is. You oh, see what this that is, is incredible! Is that supposed to be Fosse? It is, is Fosse. Like that's an Al Hirschfeld of Al drawing Hirschfeld of, of Bobby of Bob Fosse. That's great. It's cut off a little bit. It's cut off a little bit, right? By the, by the icons, <laughs> right? It's uh, yeah. I that's love great. Bob Fosse as a filmmaker, as a director, as a choreographer, and everything. Yeah. So that's how I came to it, and then I listened to this recording because there's a music library and we have it. Yeah. And then I have to say, I think it's one of the worst cast albums. <laughs> Ever. I think it's absolutely one of the worst cast albums ever. I It is remarkably bad to me. Now, let me explain why. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so it's on the reason, I, one of the reasons I brought the LP, aside from you to, to look at it, mm-hmm. is that the recording is produced by Phil Ramone and Stephen Schwartz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it is on Motown Records, which I only mention because Motown is not a label known for cast albums, yeah. not even in the 70s. Like it was not, it did, it did do a couple. Um, I don't know why it's on Motown as opposed to something like Columbia, which is where most of Sondheim's musicals went and where Goddard Lieberstein and Thomas Shepard worked. Um, it, the only thing I can kind of think of is that one of the reasons is Schwartz wanted to produce the recording himself. And he produced Godspell's cast recording, and so he obviously knew what he was doing. But I think when he produced it himself, this is how we're going to segue into the second bit, mm-hmm. he produced it like... He produced the cast recording of the score he wanted the show to have, mm-hmm. which is not actually the, sh- the score the performance ended up with, which gets us into a little bit of the history of, oh this, my God. of this show. Schwartz versus Fosse Schwartz forever. versus Fosse. Schwartz, <laughs> and, to be fair, Schwartz and uh, Herson, who wrote the book, yes, uh, versus, versus Bob Fosse. Pretty much everybody versus Bob Fosse, it seems to this. So in 1971, when this all started, um, Fosse was... Huge, but not 
not God, which he sort of became after this show on Broadway. And he had just finished making the film version of Cabaret. And then he gets into rehearsals <laughs> on the show with Schwartz and Hernson. And I read in preparation for this, not the whole thing because it's a huge biography, but yeah. a big chunk of all the Pippin stuff in the mm-hmm. Fosse biography. And um, he was kind of a bastard about this. Um <laughs> he, uh, yeah, just there's no other way to put. So, what do you, what did you, what did your research uncovered about Fosse yeah. and Herson and, and Schwartz? Well, I saw you were going the Fosse route, so I went, I went the Schwartz route and read. Oh, good. Okay. A series of interviews he gave. I read those too. Musical I, yeah. Theater International, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. the ones where he just constantly protests over and over again. There aren't two books. What are you talking about? Right. Yeah. Is, I actually don't know how Fosse came to the project because I know Schwartz was shop, like shopping it around, and everyone turned him down. Michael Bennett turned him down. Yeah. Hal Prince turned. Hal him Prince down. turned him down. I don't exactly know how it came to Fosse. That's not me. Okay. clear in the in the biography or I don't remember it I shouldn't throw the book under the bus like that I read it very quickly it's a very big book I'm not sure how it came to Fosse it probably came to Fosse through Stuart Ostro who was the mm, producer yeah. and but Stuart yeah Stuart is Team Fosse for Stuart the is definitely <laughs> Team Fosse but it went through David Merrick and like you said Michael yeah. Bennett and how literally everybody turned this down and I think everybody turned it down because it's not very good and actually right. the couple of the like but Fosse had to convince John Rubenstein to play Pippin mm-hmm. He had apparently gotten, Rubenstein had auditioned for Cabaret, the movie, and had not been cast. But he called him and he offered him Pippin. And uh, Rubenstein said, well, it's not very good. I like Corner of the Sky, but it's not a good part. And mm-hmm. Fosse said, I absolutely agree, but it'll get better and I want you to do it. So Rubenstein said yes. He convinced Ben Vereen to do it when there was the leading player was apparently nothing. All yeah. the leading player came on and was like, he said, enter this character and then like walked off. But Fosse sent him on this thing, like, watch all these Bill Bojangles, Robinson's routines, watch all of these sort of, like, this is what you're going to do. Yeah. And Vereen, against everyone's advice, took the part, which would become his career-defining role. Fosse was, when I say he was being kind of a bastard, what I mean by that is he was seemed to be playing both ends against the middle all the time. He mm-hmm. would be telling the actors what they wanted to hear. He'd be telling Schwartz what he wanted to hear, telling the producers what they wanted to hear. And in his head, he's doing exactly, he's just manipulating everybody to get <laughs> the show he wants because he saw something in this script yeah. that no one else saw and he was going to put his vision on stage. And that's what he did. And he won two Tony Awards for it. This yeah. is also 72, I should say, as a historical fact, is the year... The reason I say Fosse became God is because he won, he became the only person to win a Tony, an Emmy, and an Oscar for Best Director, which has never happened before. And I don't think it's going to happen again. It'd be really, really unusual for that. It also is the reason he had a heart attack while he was producing Chicago, like soon after this, because he worked himself literally into the ground. But all that having been said, so you're, you're, you, you did all the Schwartz research on this. Um, What did you, what, how do you, how does that make you feel? Actually, that's a better question. Oh, man. It was fascinating. Okay. I'm, I'm very easily convinced. So I was reading it, and I was like, oh, man, there aren't two versions of the script. This is nonsense. And then I, like, <laughs> stepped away from it and was like, no, no, no. Also, they, I don't know why they they structured it the way, and I don't know why it's on his website structured the way it is, because it, he says there are not two versions of the script, or there is no there are no two conflicting visions enough times that he actually makes himself more doubt like doubtful mm-hmm. than he would be had he just said it once. Yeah. It's like... It's really there, unfortunate. Yeah, there's there's absolutely well, there's not anymore. I mean, there is only one right, version available right, from NTI because right now. He Fosse won. Died. Well, he, well, Fosse died, but also because he is the writer. I yeah. mean, this is the thing. And they did. I mean, there's the, all these stories about him, like you say, locking out Schwartz and and like l- barring them from rehearsals and doing the show his way. Apparently, Schwartz went to the Dramatics Guild, which is what you're supposed to do, mm-hmm. and for some reason they couldn't help him, which doesn't make any sense to me because. Yeah. 
that's the job of the dramatic guilds. But the writer rules the roost, or at least they should. I don't know how Fosse got away with it. But see, this is a super director thing. Like throughout, if you look at um, uh, look at Robbins is another great yeah. example. I mean, he was a little bit better at collaborating. Also, kind of this tyrannical figure in in theater history. Right. Um, but you think about like uh, Fiddler on the Roof. He made them rewrite. I think it's seven songs. Because uh, he figured out the show had a different direction than what was originally scripted. So right. it's, it's of the time period, this idea of directors and who are also choreographers seeing something in a show and saying, well, I can run with that is like, it's of the yeah. era. Yeah, well, we're, but we're about eight years out from Fiddler. I mean, Fiddler's 64, Yeah, I mean, right? it started so, in, uh, it started I mean, Robin's, with, like, yeah, it started with Robin's earlier work, like Peter Pan. Yeah, and, Robin's and definitely had a reputation yeah. for that. And Sondheim has some stories of working with Robin's on West Side Story. Mm-hmm. But but it was always in the sense of, you need to rewrite this. Yeah, Not, yeah, yeah. I'm he going to rewrite this. <laughs> There's a great scene in... I asked you, did you watch All That Jazz? Mm-mm. Okay, so All That Jazz, list. which is just one of the best, is one of my five favorite movies ever mm-hmm. and is maybe the best movie about theater I think ever made. Yeah. Is, um, there's this, it, it's a very thinly veiled autobiographical film by Bob Fosse and it's ostensibly about him making Chicago. That's sort of what it's about and about when he had his heart attack. Mm-hmm. But Chicago's written by Kander Neb, which is two people obviously, and Fosse does get co-book credit on that uh, musical. Mm-hmm. There's only one composer in all that jazz on this music, this fictional musical they're working on, who I have to believe is supposed to be Stephen Schwartz. Oh my God! Just because of the things he says sure. and the way he acts. And there's a great scene where they're doing the musical in the movie has it's something about airlines. We never really get anything more than that. And he stages the Fosse character, Joe, uh, Joe Gideon stages this is staging this introductory chorus number and everybody's watching it and it's very kind of sweet and jazzy and he hates it and he doesn't like it and then at one point he kicks everybody out of the room not rudely but just kicks everybody out of the room keeps the dancers and then brings everybody you don't see what he does and then he brings everybody back in and he's completely he's he does the beginning and it's fine but then he's written this whole jazz odyssey sex orgy kind of thing and he presents it to the producers and the composer. And it, it's, it has to be, to me, after thinking about this a lot, I think this has to be what happened when he staged with you. Yeah. And he added that whole ar- dance arranged, which is not on the cast recording, section where Pippin goes nuts and has these things. And because what happens is they're wa- you're watching this thing and the dancers are stripping and like crawling on each other. And it's just very, very, I mean, it's awesome. But it's it's taking this sweet little song and making it hypersexual. The composer puts his head in his hands and says, No Sinatra will never record it. <laughs> the only song yeah. I can think All of right. that Sinatra would have recorded, that that comment would have worked yeah. is With You. That's the only one where he would have been like, oh, but if you do this to my song, then no one's going to like it. And... So that's it has to be more Pippin than Chicago to me. Yeah, that, no, that that's fair. Well, so the thing moment. is, when I was watching with you, I was thinking about this deeply because, you know, in 1970, Sondheim put together company and stage TikTok, which is like this yeah. a sex dance sequence, right? Right. And so I was watching with you, and I'm just like wondering, especially the dance uh, sequence where it gets full orgy, if you will. Oh my gosh. Um, and sitting, I was sitting there going, "Do you think this is is Fosse's response? You know, like, oh, you can do like a." A relatively what seems like a salacious dance number. I can chop that by a lot. Many more sex partners. And then I remember the story about how during Chicago they sent specifically sent Jerry Orba 
Rock to fight back against Fosse, who wanted to stage uh, Razzle Dazzle as an orgy sequence on the courthouse steps, and everyone was like, you oh, can't do wow. that. Yeah. They, they, Jerry Orbach was uh, the guy who ended up having to have that conversation. So I, it may have been a response to TikTok, but it also may have just been that Fosse likes staging orgies. Well, he certainly does. I mean, his <laughs> his dance style is very sensual. Yeah. And is very fluid, as everyone everyone knows. I mean, that's the and, you know he invented jazz hands basically, yeah. or at least made them popular. So. He is a very, everything has a very, you know, kind of, I'm sort of moving my shoulders and things here <laughs> yeah, as I'm you talking. Can't, you can't, I, you talk can't help it. You can't help it. Like it's got this feel it. to it. Um, but that show, Chicago, is yeah. a overtly dirty show. That's part of its appeal. It's a late night cabaret, sleazy group of people. Pippin is dirtier than you'd expect from the cast album. Well, but Pippin, I think, is dirty because of Fosse. Oh, like, yeah, I think totally. Fosse brings the, brings... Gotcha. He takes this story that that Schwartz and Hernson had, mm-hmm. which was apparently kind of and like in the in the biography, the Fosse biography, they have sample dialogue from the original, oh my God. and it's just the most saccharine and like yeah. thing. And Fosse took all that stuff and he added this level of danger, yeah, to it, and also took this idea that I think Schwartz and Hernson had about this young man's attempt to discover something, to discover the perp, like where he belongs, mm-hmm. to find his purpose, and. It makes it, it makes it about show business. It makes it dark, and it makes it th- all these feelings that I think Fosse had about like how it, this is terrible, and like we can all go for this one, like and this this seduction of show business, sort of embodied mm-hmm. by the players and the leading players specifically, who, as we sort of talked about, starts out as this very congenial, sweet, fun Ben Vereen, and it gets <laughs> super dark in yeah. in in some parts where he. Um, especially with with Catherine, the woman he's falling in love with, who occasionally goes, she's late for entrances, she goes off script, and he's kind of good-natured about it at the beginning. But there's this great line late, and I'll put it in here, but I'll say it to you, where he she gets the line wrong. In the six months that you've been with us, a lot of water has flowed under the dam. Over the dam. Water flows over the dam. I'm sorry, I I seem to be a little bit confused. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. You try sticking to the pot. I will. I will. I just think that is, oh, my God, I love this. I love the videos. Sarah, I love the video to death. <laughs> I hate this album with the fire of a thousand suns. I can't. But I think that's like the what's so wonderful about Pippin is like the extreme divides of the feelings, right? Because it's the show that has that has good stuff and some really terrible oh, stuff some in really there. Terrible stuff in it. Because oh like you were God. saying, but I wonder if one of the reasons that like you were saying about the lyrics yeah. being kind of underwritten in chunks. Yeah. I wonder if it's because the unfortunate thing about what Fosse did is that at some point Schwartz is gonna stop writing. Mm-hmm. Or at least not write with the same kind of gusto. Like what, what you're saying about Jerry Robbins and being like, he's dictatorial, but he's dictatorial in a collaborative way. So I think yeah. that Bach and Harnick and, and Bernstein and Sondheim and all the people he worked with were just like, this is worth it. Like we're going to please him. There's something here. He wants us to do it. Whereas Schwartz is getting locked out of the room and, and Fosse is just, is just willing this show into existence. And so you have songs like Just No Time At All, which has mm-hmm. some tremendous lyrics in it, and you have songs like Morning Glow, and even With You, that just yeah, have, no. like, the, and Love Song. I mean, The God. Love Song is actually awful. Like, oh, I don't understand how song. it exists. Private little jokes and silly pet names. La, 
cliches and all of the games and all of the strange emotions sings in the love song la 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 love song la 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 I get that it fits the meta theatrical themes of Pippin like the breakdown of a of showbiz versus reality, but my god, what a terrible song. And I can't believe he just, like, how is that actually in a show where they're just like, we can't explain love, la la la. Right. Like, that's love song. It's yeah. awful. Lavender soap and lotion. What does oh, that god, mean? Oh god, no. What does that mean? I don't understand what that no, means. No, but they literally, just, oh my god. It's bad. It's, it's saccharine and bad. At, because it also seems like the original idea wasn't quite as overtly theatrical, Mm -hmm. that it was more, it was kind of a lot of half measures. Like you say, like the leading player just, like we're, it's a show and we have a finale and we have a thing. Well, the players are all fussy. I don't think the original had players at all. Not in the way, certainly not in the way that this one does with, with them. And also with them coming on and like Charlemagne's entrance and him saying this role is to be played by an actor of enormous power. I mean, that sort of stuff isn't it's it's just more that scene four, like this happens, kind yeah. of cutesy narration. Yeah. And Fosse really takes it to that next level. Also considering this thing did not have a second act. Yeah. Or at least not a finished one when Fosse got his hands on it. I mean, it's 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 just thinking that it ends with Pippin assassinating Charlemagne. And Which is like, the original conception. Right, and singing Morning Glow production. and then we're done. And you're just like, oh I don't God. know. That's so not a show. <laughs> it's not. It's not. No. Also, I should note that the original title was Pippin Pippin. So thank Fosse for. Uh, Pippin Pippin? Yeah. It was two Pippins. Oh, like just Pippin Pippin. Yeah, not it's Pippin, Pippin twice. His life and time. Like not Pippin no. colon Pippin. I was nope. Saying. It was just Pippin Pippin. I, like I don't it. know why. It makes no sense. It doesn't sound better. I like Pippin Pippin. I like that with a colon. I think it'd be funny. Because it's Pippin, the actual colon, title Pippin. is Pippin His Life and Times. Yeah. As they present it on stage. Right. Best and worst, though. I mean, it's, I just find it fascinating. And you know, what, So what do you find fascinating? Expand on yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Bit. Well, I'm a sucker for meta theater of any kind. Oh, so, okay. like, obviously this show is right up my alley. Although, again, I mean, maybe it was just the way this video is cut, but the stuff with Catherine, which is when it gets at its most meta theatrical, really, mm-hmm. um, I thought was some of the weakest material of the show. Yeah. Uh, so It rushes to the ending. It is produced, I should say, also by the recording now mm-hmm. we're talking about. It's produced by Stephen Schwartz and Phil Ramone. Um, who was, I think, yes, just about to find his real success producing Billy Joel um, mm-hmm. in the mid and late 70s, and who has produced a lot of cast albums through his life. He produced Passion, cast album, the original. He's produced a bunch, so he has it. But it doesn't feel like a cast album to me. Would you no, agree with that? it sounds like a pop soundtrack closer to, it's it's a lot closer to the Disney scores that mm-hmm. Schwartz has done. Um, also, I have to ask, does yours include the uh, the Michael Jackson cover of Morning Glow? Schwartz well, got the his CD, dream. The CD, the does. CD does. The CD does. I know. Yeah. It's the, not it's particularly not on, strong. No, the CD has, um, it's got a couple things like that on it. It's yeah. got Michael Jackson singing Morning Glow. It's got the Jackson 5 doing Corner of the Sky. Oh, and it's yeah. got oh, my God. Um, the Supremes without Diana Ross, I think, singing... Um, I guess I'll miss the man. Which makes this story from all that jazz sound all the more true, yeah. right? It's like... Mm-hmm. Well, because he was a... Co- I mean, not to, you know, to, to to fault Schwartz. Right. That was what you did. I mean, this yeah. is how he was going to make money. He, right. He also made his... True. I mean, he made his bones his, his bones on Godspell, which was an mm-hmm. unbelievable hit. Yeah. And, you know, it's still done to this day and is a, is a really good album and is a really great show. And Day by Day was a hit 
song. I mean, it's yeah. in the pop charts. It was a so this is something you know he's thinking long term, and I don't fault him for that. Right. Being saying things like now Sinatra will never record it if that actually happened. We don't kind of believe it did. <laughs> but it isn't what we want from our. Music theater composers, well, and we, you know. it's not what we want from Pippin, I think, is the problem. Mm. You know, if he was a different type of, if it was a different show, I think maybe it would be oh, easier to be like, oh, we want it to have these great hits. But I think when you think of Pippin, and certainly maybe more so for somebody who comes from having seen the, right. the 80s the production, yeah. and 70s, 80s production as their basis. But I think your expectations are for this sort of raw, arty... Like, in a perfect world, I would imagine the original cast recording of Pippin would have, you know, a lot more of, like, some of the pithy one-liners, uh, you know. Well, and the doodahs. Like, yeah, all those little doodahs, which true. are all, fa- according to the biography, are all fossy. All these little vaudeville yuck-yuck moments oh my God. that are wonderful yeah. little fossy flourishes, he really does, um, <laughs> are all gone from the recording. I also think the recording, there's two things about the recording that make it not sound like a cast album to me. One is the uh, the, the fade-outs. Mm. There are, I mean, 12 songs or 14 songs in this mm-hmm. album, and I think about half of them fade out, which is not something that happens. Except for. <laughs> Except for? Um, oh, God. It's, uh, it's, hold on. Sure, it's pick it up. Joys is, uh, is the song that literally fades out on stage, and it's incredibly awkward. Yeah. Uh, well, right, yeah. but well, it, it does kind of it does fade out on stage. You're right. It, but I was, in, I was in a shocked. live in a live way, he dances off the stage, <laughs> dances off stage. and the applause covers the yeah. That's the true. Sil- that's it's true. also at that point just a guitar and a piano. You right. can like quietly pianist. I'm just saying that there and, is one fade out on stage. There I was are surprised that's true. By it. <laughs> but like magic to do yeah. fades out. Glory fades out. Simple joys fade out. No time at all fades out. I mean, it's just right. it is a for a cast album. It's very weird. But there's also something, and I don't know if you you picked up on this. There's something in the mix where all the vocals are very much in the front and they're very quiet. Like Ben Vereen sounds like he's whispering while he's singing. Sweet summer evenings, hot wine and bread, sharing your supper, sharing your day. Simple joys have a simple voice that says, why not go ahead? Wouldn't you rather be a left-handed flea A crab on a slab at the bottom of the sea Than a man who never learns how to be free Not till he's cold and dead It's a very soft, like, calm, like a chill Like, if you just listen to this show you might think it's like a family show. Like, you might be like, yeah. oh, we could all go see this. And then yeah. you go see it. You'd be like, no, we cannot all see this. Like, Which is this probably is... part of why high schools have done it in the same, mm-hmm. to the same extent that they have. It's on, But it's like the smooth listening version of Pippin, It is. It's what it feels. It feels like a Motown record. I mean, it's yeah. on Motown records, and it feels like a Motown record. It feels like, you know, a sort of blue-eyed soul, really milquetoast kind of recording, which is only a shock. Like, if I think if I'd heard the recording first, this wouldn't bother me. Yeah. But it's only a shock when, if you watch that video, Ben Vereen is performing at 11 the yeah. whole time. Oh, yeah. He is leaving Everyone's everything on the set. Everybody's huge. And he's, like, he's not screaming the songs, but he is really forcefully performing. Sweet summer evening, a hot wine and bread, sharing your supper, sharing your bed. Simple choice after simple choice, he says, why not? So what's your favorite song from the show? Oh, that's a good question. 
Um, like extraordinary, I think is so undervalued. Every so often a man has a day he truly can call his. Well, here I am to seize my day. If someone would just tell me when the hell it is. Oh, give me my chance and give me my wings. And don't make me think about everyday things. They're unnecessary to someone who is very extraordinary. of a song I think it's really strong and that's one of the ones that pops in my head at all times it has really good lyrics too I mean yeah, you know, I want to be someone who lives all of his life in superlatives oh God, that's so a really good, good line you that's know? a great line yeah um I actually think Magic to Do is just like a really, really incredible. And what's, you know what it is, though? It always comes back. So this is why I made a video about it. But it always comes back to those, you know, four key songs mm-hmm. in a show. And So what are the four key songs for All this right. show? So the four key songs are your opener, your I Want song, your Act One closer, because otherwise okay. people won't come back and Pippin doesn't have. Uh, well, technically it's Morning closer, Glow. Technically, but yeah, yeah Morning, morning Glow, glow is, is, the, is the Act One closer. Um, and then the 11 o'clock number. Okay, so you've got Magic to Do mm-hmm. is your opener. Corner of the Sky mm-hmm. is your I Want song. Morning Glow is your your uh, act one closer, technically. And I'm assuming Extraordinary is your... Is let, me, which, let me look at that. I actually yeah. haven't sat down and thought about which one it would be. I mean, it sure as hell shouldn't be a love song. Well, it's not love song. So, it's not kind... It might yeah. be kind of... You could make kind a case woman, for kind of woman. In terms of how it was staged, I would say fits. That's a fun... Song. Yeah, and it just it grows. A fun you know song I mean? in the show. I should in say. On this that... recording, it's dead as toast. Correct. But uh, Correct. Um, in the staging, it's <laughs> with the chorus and the girls and the the duas and all that sort of. It's a really fun. Yeah. Fun... Also, an interesting structural thing I noticed about Pippin while while considering this uh, this thing is that speaking of female leads. Pippin, you don't meet the love interest until the last, like, is it The half second half hour? of the second act, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's rough. And that, I, so I had to go back and be like, okay, well then, clearly they are not the fated to be mated couple. And it's Pippin and the lead player. There are two romantic leads right. in the show, From, right? Yes, like, absolutely. Like, that's the way it's structured. That's the, well, that's the relationship the show is built around. And that's right. the... that's, that's why the, the ending works Because he leaves, he leaves yeah. the abusive relationship for the healthy relationship. Well, yeah. and, cause, and because it's dramatically so shocking to have the, you know, the metaphorical consummation if we're going back to Fosse and sex you know I mean like the way the show is structured is we meet Pippin we meet the leading player and we are promised you know they will be together in some capacity in a finale I mean it is a finale never before seen on an open stage it is yeah (laughs) and then you break that partnership and that's uh, Mm -hmm. and he gets very I mean it is I mean I didn't occur to me until you just said it Mm -hmm. but you're absolutely right when they break up they break up (laughs) and the leading player does not take it well he does not he does not react in a in a, in a and that was an interesting um, critique of the the revival with the art production with the circus theme that mm-hmm. was in I read the New York Times review of mm-hmm. it uh, and they said that the leading player was a little too callous throughout the piece um, mm. which I don't I haven't seen it I've seen clips but I haven't seen the whole thing so I can't really speak to whether or not that's true but if you think about the idea of the leading player as a callous figure um, I think one of the reasons why Ben Vereen works so well in the role is because he does have this extreme warmth and this like He's not just winning over the audience, he's also winning over Pippin. So his transformation at the end is truly shocking. Well, Bettina Miller did win the Tony. For oh her yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to fault her performance. Well, no, no, in terms not, of neither of us have seen it, so yeah, we can't speak to that. <laughs> but I will say that I wonder how much of that is the fact that the leading player is Ben Vereen. Yeah. And if you've seen Ben Vereen do the leading player, yeah. 
everything else is going to be compared to that. Like yeah, that's, that's just true. the way that's, that's going to be. It's like Yul Brenner and the King and I. I mean, no matter yeah. who plays the king, you're going to be like, well, I mean, that's it's true. not Yul Brenner, but it's it's, it, it's good. <laughs> so I kind of anytime I read a review like that, we're like, I don't know, they're not as warm as I wanted them to be. It's like, well, where did that yeah. come from? Where does that desire come from? It comes from Ben Vereen. No one's like Ben Vereen. He's a unique. And there will never be anybody exactly like him again. He's a he's a unique kind of performer. So I don't necessarily. I mean, it, it's a fair criticism, like but I wonder how, where it comes from. How that role works, I guess, is more my consideration rather mm-hmm. than you know. It, you do have, have to the like ben the leading player. quality. You do have to like yeah. the leading player. That is very true. You have to, you have to trust them. Yeah, trust because Pippen has to the trust them thing, right? so that when you so that you believe that maybe Pippen's going to set himself on fire. Like you have to for a yeah. moment believe that Pippen's going to kill himself. So that when he doesn't, you're relieved. Like and you kind of a... have to like be betrayed. Okay, this is gonna sound really trite, but you have to be betrayed by the leading player in the to the extent Absolutely. that Pippin is right. Like, and yeah. if you're like betrayed, you're betrayed by like your conception of life. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, and happening. the promise. I mean, it's the thing of like these these characters have been. He wants to find the place where he absolutely where every, something is completely fulfilling. Yes. And the leading the players have been quote unquote helping him right. where they actually haven't. They have been, if you watch the show with this kind of twisted eye, mm-hmm. they have been driving him to this finale. Mm-hmm. They have been putting him in situations that they know aren't good for him and that will not fulfill him and steering. And like, for example, you see this overtly in the in the, in the the book when she, uh, there's a moment where the lean player comes on the stage and chastises Catherine for read, her line reading being incorrect. Pippin, this is such a large estate and I'm all alone here and I can't possibly do all this work myself. Couldn't you please help me? Hold it! Hold it! Jesus! <laughs> Actresses, look. You're supposed to read the line naggingly. But he touched my hand. They don't usually do that. I don't care where he puts his hand. <laughs> read the line naggingly. Naggingly. Pippin, this is such a large estate and I am all alone here and I cannot possibly do all this work myself. Now, can't you please help me? All right, all right, anything to shut you up. But only for a little while. They, they, they are guiding Pippin to the point where he might jump in this in this box and set himself on fire. Yeah. That's what they want. That's what they, it's not even want. That's what they need. They need someone to get in this box and set themselves on fire. Right. Or they will not be fulfilled. And their quest continues <laughs> at the end of the show. And if you stage it the way it's done now, you, it's, it moves on to Theo, who then will go on, I think is the bit being, we all go on this journey. Yeah. For one perfect act or a life of... Maybe not perfect, but you know, certainly not dead, which is... We all have this desire to... I, I think, I don't know, it feels very... Like, I think with all of my favorite shows, there's something that feels... Like, that. I mean, I guess everyone has, you know, things mm-hmm. that touch them in a way that feel Absolutely. current and relevant. But this idea of needing to feel completely fulfilled has, like, definitely been something that I feel like... It seems like a thing that's for my generation, but it's not. You know what I mean? It's like any generation no, has youth culture at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you Well, you... And it's this sort of byproduct of. I mean, there's all these it's interesting. Very American. It is a very American feeling. This is that. That is one thing that I, I will say. But I think it's something that every generation, at least since the baby boom, has has yeah. or even before that, even has believed 
existed. There's this, and it's what advertising is kind of based on, this mm-hmm. idea that, like, if you have the thing and the other thing and then this thing, then you will be finished. You're baked. You're it's, done. When it's goal-oriented, <laughs> it's just something I've railed against a lot, and I may have done this in the podcast, I'm not sure, but, it, like, there's this whole myth that life is a goal. There's such a thing as a goal-oriented life. You need yeah. to get into the right school and do the right thing, and then when you do that, you'll be fine and mm-hmm. it'll be done. And it seems most unhappiness comes from the fact that people don't realize that, no, no, like, then life continues. Life is a struggle at every single moment. You don't, like, there is no happily ever after, which is the absolute, it's the worst thing we do to our children is this belief that, like, there is an ending that we are striving for when, when, which is something that Pixar lately has, thank God, been railing against is Mm -hmm. this idea that there is a, there's not an end. There is only the story's over, but the journey continues. This, this will, this will never stop because that's what happens. And there's so many people I see who I grew up with who are, you know, they're in their late 30s and life isn't working out the way they thought it would. And they're super unhappy because I think they thought they would just stop and settle into a happy rut at some point. Yeah. And that does not exist. Well, and like what a, like what a genius move to use theater as the way to convey that. Because, right. you know, theater is this it's this culmination of all of this time and work to make what you hope will be a perfect product. You know, that's right. the idea of of theater is like mm-hmm. you have to keep striving to make that even if you don't achieve it. And so, like, of course. That's Fosse. Fosse sees that in yeah in theater and says, "Oh, I can apply that to well." And his shows, work. when yeah. he started to have a creative control, yeah, they end all in this kind of in shades of this. So mm-hmm. this show ends with him reject Pippin rejecting completely and sort of choosing this quiet, mundane life and feeling trapped. Yeah, but that's okay. Like he's like, but that's a pretty good ending. Yeah. Then we go to to Chicago, which ends in this very ambiguous kind of way with the two main characters achieving the stardom they've always wanted. But it's kind of horrifying, like, Mm -hmm. how they've achieved the stardom. The stardom is not going to fulfill them in any kind of way. It's still very fleeting. Well, and it implicates us as the audience. Exactly right. In this sort of thing. And then we move on to the third, which is All That Jazz which sort of has the opposite ending of Pippin in the sense that it ends with the main character dying and sort of being like, no, this is the bit. Like, he's, I am working myself to death and I can't stop and I won't stop. Like, it's not even, mm. it's this knowledge of like, I'm not going to stop. I am going to die and I'm going to die doing the thing I love to do. I'm going to drive myself into the ground and it's okay. It, it ends, it, I shouldn't say it's okay. Like, it doesn't end with a happy, it doesn't have a happy ending with him dying, but it ends with the man who wrote and directed this movie yeah. about himself dying. Like, that's his sort of ultimate culmination. Yeah. <laughs> Which he then did, of course, obviously died yeah. here in D.C. of a heart attack on a bench, like in a public park in D.C. on a bench. Uh, it was just with Gwen Verdon and he just died. He had a heart attack and died. And uh, it is after a, seeing a preview of, I believe, Sweet Charity at Kennedy Center. Mm. Um, it is, yeah, I mean, he just, he he was right. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Man lived hard and fast and <laughs> and and just, you know, and couldn't stop. And it, it is, it certainly would appear. So it's funny to me that all that jazz kind of has the opposite ending of almost has the finale, at, like almost has getting, yeah. getting in the box yeah, and setting himself the, on fire. It's not the way Pippin it's not the way Pippin ends life, at all. right? You nope, know? Not at all. He chooses, he rejects all, the, I mean, he rejects his family, he rejects his girlfriend, doesn't overtly reject them in all that jazz, but he certainly chooses yeah. the destructive path over the constructive path. Yeah. yeah, and like the, you know, personal versus the community, I think but is, it is another way of thinking about it And too. it does, but it's not, in Pippin it's a choice, like it's yeah. an overt choice. And all yeah. that jazz, he is... 
it doesn't feel like a choice. It feels like he doesn't have it. There's no. There's nothing else he can do. Mm-hmm. This is all he has. And maybe there was a choice like years ago where he could have veered. But the, when we meet him in all that jazz, his fate. It basically feels like his fate is sealed. He yeah. can't. He, he can't do anything else. That's such a fascinating comparison to Pippin. It's weird. It's it's hard to imagine somebody who could create a show in which the you know he takes ending B. Yeah. A uh, living ending A and yeah. being. It, making a movie about it in a yeah. way that it's like it has some level of acceptance inherently part of the process of making that movie is I know I'm gonna die doing yep. what I love mm-hmm. and, and going that's crazy. Just, that's just how it is. That's just and who I am. I, I can't do anything else if I even if I wanted to. And there is that sort of feeling in real life with Fosse. Like he really yeah. didn't want to. This is all he. <laughs> this is all he wanted to do. And yeah, it's a choice. It's always it's a choice. Absolutely an overt choice. <laughs> well, this was great, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Do you have anything to plug? I mean, the web series. But plug the web series. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it is, again, it's the musical show, all one word. We're on YouTube. Uh, and we do have, you know, associated Twitter and Tumblr accounts. Which is at the musical show, correct? Yes, and then yes. you are also on Twitter. Yes, at... Sarah E. Cohen, S-A-R-A, Sarah. Uh, and then, yeah, and come see Things at Fords, which is an awesome theater with go. affordable tickets. Hooray. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> The original cast was recorded at the Media Production Center at American University. Special thanks to Tom Fish, Imani Mular, Jeffrey Madison, and the tireless staff of students who run the front desk. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. You can email us at OriginalCastPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We have our first live show coming up December 10th, 4.30 p.m. as part of the Flying V Awesome-a-thon at 4805 Edgemore Lane. For more information, please visit UnknownPenguin.com slash live. Subscribe to the Original cast on iTunes, and while you're there, please give us a comment and a rating so other people can find the show. My thanks to Sarah E. Cohen for coming down and talking to me today. Absolutely, anytime. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Ah!